0: Well, good morning. The remnant that stayed behind in Kansas City for the holidays, as Mark was saying, we're happy you're here. And uh, if you're a visitor, know that next week there will be more people in the pews. Uh, if, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name's Quinn. I'm a member and a deacon here at Warnell Road Baptist Church, and it's my delight and honor to be able to minister God's word to you. If you have your Bibles, would you please open them to Psalm chapter 121? Psalm 121. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are blue Bibles you can use in the pew rack in front of you. And you'll find our text on page 516. 516. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one as our gift to you. Well, it's that time of year again when two things happen. People try to get skinny and they try to read more books in their free time. In other words... The new year is upon us, and with it comes a fresh set of resolutions. Millions of people, even myself included, are preparing this week what their resolutions will be, setting goals to better themselves, uh, acquire new skills, maybe take less trips to Chipotle, and so on. And while there's certainly, certainly nothing wrong with resolutions, um, it's even commendable, but we all know that no amount of resolutions, no amount of quick and easy fixes will be able to help us escape from the pressures and challenges of living in a fallen world, a broken world, an exhausting world. Even if we finally did become whatever ideal version of ourselves that we have in our heads, there would still remain a longing inside of us needing to be filled We all know we need a deeper help. And after the last couple of chaotic years, we we stand on the threshold of another year, staring into the unknown, not knowing what it will bring. Will this be the year that we lose a loved one? Will this be the year that we're laid off from our jobs? Will this be the year that our health collapses? We all know we need a help. We all know we need a helper, a help deeper than mere resolutions can provide. And so we must ask ourselves this morning, where will our help come from? Where will our help come from? That's the question the psalmist raises in our text. And we'll see this morning that our God has not left us helpless. But for the Christian, our helper is Emmanuel, God with us, the, the triune God, the maker of heaven and earth, who watches over us, who is near to us, and who never forgets us. So hear now the words of our Lord from Psalm 121. A song of a sense. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. If you're taking notes this morning, my sermon has two points. One, where our help is found, verses 1 and 2. Where our help is found. And point number two, what our help is, verses 3 through 8. What our help is. So point number one, where our help is found. When I read my Bible in the mornings, I often like to start with a psalm before I go on to another portion of scripture. Uh, Reading a psalm, perhaps even singing a psalm or praying a psalm is a great way to, to jumpstart your heart into communing with God when you feel cold. When you don't know what to pray or what words to say, the words of the psalmist greet you waiting to be used. Maybe you do something similar. Uh, You pick a psalm to read before you rush off to work or put your kids on the bus. Maybe you read a chapter of the psalms before you go to bed with your spouse or or your child. Because the psalms are, and, and they have been for millennia, a rich treasury for God's people to draw upon for comfort, both in times of sorrow and in times of joy. But yet, if we only approach the Psalms in this manner, reading one chapter at a time, we can actually miss out on what the entire book of Psalms is doing. It'd be like if you watched a scene from your favorite movie without actually watching the entire movie. You know, you might love that scene, but because you haven't seen how it flows from beginning to end, you're you're not really going to know how it fits and the storyline. And similarly when we come to the Psalms, we don't want to isolate them from one another and miss the forest for the trees. The Psalms go together. They're not just like one-offs, but they're an assortment of different prayers and and poems and songs and stories and prophecies that have intentionally been arranged to tell one unified story. The story Of a coming Messiah. Who will destroy his enemies. Set up his kingdom. And dwell with his people forever. The Psalms are are broken into five books. And within those five books. You actually even have smaller collections of Psalms. That are grouped together. In our Psalm this morning. Psalm 121 is found. At the beginning of a collection. Called the Songs of Ascent. Also translated. The Songs of the Going Up. You might have noticed that. As a heading before verse 1 in your Bibles. So what are these songs of ascent? What are they for? What are what does even the word ascent. What's that referencing? Well at different times throughout the year. Jews were commanded by God. To travel to Jerusalem. Where his temple was. And, and to worship there. By offering sacrifices. And, and feasting and thanking God for his blessings. And the songs of ascent. Are 14 psalms. That the Jews would pray and sing and meditate on as they made their long journey from their village to Jerusalem. They're kind of like an ancient Spotify playlist for the Jews as they traveled. And they're called the Songs of Ascent because in order to get to the city, you actually have to physically go up. The city sits above sea level on this mountain range. And so they're literally climbing the hills as they pray and sing these songs and even today if you go to Jerusalem it's quite surprising how much it does actually gradually incline to reach the city. And so our psalm opens from the vantage point of such a traveler, a Jewish pilgrim making his way to Jerusalem. He hasn't quite reached his destination yet, but he he stands far off in the distance and he sees the hills of Judah. He says, "I lift up my eyes to the hills." It's kind of like if you've ever driven to Colorado and you first see the vague outlines of the huge mountains capped in white in the distance. Or if you're a Kansas City native like me, you would drive up north with your family. And the first one to spot the big Mamba roller coaster at Worlds of Fun won the game. You know, you saw it in the distance. There's the Mamba. But the traveler doesn't merely lift his eyes to see how much farther he has to go. No, he lifts his eyes and he asks a question. From where does my help come? He faces a daunting task. Traveling in the ancient world is is no walk in the park. Uh, You know, making the journey on foot or on the back of an animal, you'd often have to be exposed to weather. You'd have to sleep vulnerably out in the cold. And even more than that, it's dangerous. Robbers wait in the mountains to overtake travelers. And so on the start of his journey, he asks, where will my help come from? But you see, this journey was not merely a physical ascent. It was spiritual. It was a symbolic ascent. Not only is the city of Jerusalem physically in the hills, but it's the city of the great king. Where God, Israel's great helper, dwelled in his holy temple. Psalm 48 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. They were not merely ascending to reach a city. They were ascending to meet God, their helper. If you're a member here at Warnell Road or maybe have been visiting for some time, you've actually might have noticed that the last 7 weeks we've begun our worship services reading from the Songs of Ascent. And what an appropriate collection of psalms it is to begin our service, calling us upward to meet our God in worship. As Christians, we're citizens of another kingdom. We're citizens of heaven, which means that we're merely guests here upon the earth, making the long journey to our heavenly Jerusalem. This is not our home, but when we come to worship here together on Sundays, this very meeting hall that is empty throughout the week becomes a sanctuary filled with the Holy Spirit because you collectively are filled With the Holy Spirit. And here and now our heavenly Jerusalem meets us. On Sunday mornings we set off as weary travelers from the valleys of our troubles. Our anxieties. Our our hurts. And we ascend the hill to draw near to the throne of grace. Where we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. When we come to worship corporately, we we behold our maker in the face of Jesus Christ. We come to sing his promises, to pray for his help, to hear his word preached, to hear the scriptures read and, and see the gospel visibly in the Lord's Supper and baptism. And in practicing these ordinary means of grace, we are reminded that our help is not in ourselves, but our help is in the Lord and i wonder if we as a church prepare our hearts to meet god each sunday the way these israelites would prepare their hearts with the psalms of ascent as they traveled to jerusalem before you walk in the doors of warnell road are you are you praying fervently for our time together are you praying that our members would be built up in the word and more conformed to the image of christ Are you praying that non-believers in our midst would hear the gospel and repent and trust in Christ? Are you praying for the preachers of our church that they would faithfully labor to feed you true things from God's word? Are you praying for our elders who are tasked to shepherd us in wisdom and Christ-likeness? Are you praying for our deacons who steadfastly serve week in and week out? Friends, what a privilege it is to escape our worldly troubles, come to our heavenly Jerusalem and receive glad tidings from our God and our King. While surrounding Jerusalem are other hills, hills that are not populated by God's temple, but were actually shrines for idols, altars for false gods. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel and Judah wandered from the worship of the one true God. And they would set up massive altars for Baal and and the poles to Asherah and offer sacrifices on these hills. And by doing so, they were led astray. The prophet Hosea writes, They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. The prophet Jeremiah says, Truly, the hills are a delusion. And so, when the psalmist lifts his eyes to the hills, he sees two hills. He very well could see the the altars to Baal on the one hand and the temple of Yahweh on the other. And he's faced with two different hills, two different helpers. Will he turn to the hill of idols? Or will he turn to Yahweh? And he asks, from where will my help come? And he answers, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Standing on the threshold of a a new year, we, we must ask ourselves what hill we will seek refuge in. There are thousands of wrong hills that lure our gaze away from the help that comes from Mount Zion. Consider, there's the person who looks to the hill of financial security. As long as that number in your savings account doesn't dip below that, you feel safe. You know, what can harm me? I have shelter. I have groceries. My kids can go to school. I can even possibly coast into retirement and and golf the rest of my days. Why look to the hill of Yahweh when I sit on a hill of riches? Maybe there's the person who looks to the hill of pleasure. Even if life gets bad, you can always rely on that little bit of dopamine boost to relieve certain tensions. Maybe it's a bottle that eases your pain and is your helper. Maybe it's lustful fantasies that you can escape into. Maybe it's neither of those things, but you find pleasure in just spending money and buying things and accumulating stuff because it makes you feel better. But soon you'll realize that no matter how much pleasure you get from worldly gain, you're always left wanting more. And in fact, it is no helper at all. And soon you'll find that accumulating massive amounts of stuff actually chains you to this world and over time lessens your desire for the world to come. There's the person who looks to the hill of blending in they 're safe from harm as long as they 're not noticed, and that is their helper they want to They want to think like and act like whatever crowd they 're around in order to not stick out because if they if they stick out, they might be mocked for following the name of Christ. they might be singled out as abnormal by their coworkers or their friends, not only adults, but I, I feel like much more do children and teenagers actually feel this pressure. Kids in the room, teens, listen, you'll face temptations to disown Christ and walk away from him, to disobey him because it's not cool to do so. It's weird. It's, it's abnormal. But don't believe the lie that you have to have this, this youthful, rebellious phase in order to have a normal life. You know, so often our culture can provide space for young people to sin. We'll look at them and we'll say, you know, oh, they're just being kids or, you know, they're they're just being teens. It's a phase. They'll, They'll come out of it. And all the while they build up sorrow after sorrow that will follow them into their adult years. Never forget that the sins of our youth also cost Christ his life. Sin is no less sin because of the age of the sinner. So kids, teenagers, come to Christ early. Save yourself a world of hurt by following Christ and obeying his commandments. Even when the temptation to blend in and seek refuge in that obscurity seems so easy. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Well, these are some of the wrong hills we're so tempted to look at. But then there are those who look to Zion for their help. And dwelt by the Holy Spirit, given eyes to see and ears to hear. They look to the eternal hills. And with their gaze, their hearts will be lifted up also. They see all the hills that the world has to offer them. They see all the helps, but they know that only one can satisfy. They look to the promises of God. They look to his wonderful attributes, his mighty work and salvation, his everlasting covenant. And they know that their help comes from these hills. And they take refuge and shelter in God. Their feet are as immovable As the mountains that they cast their eye upon. Because their help is in the Lord. The Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The Lord who stretched out the heavens like a tent. Who treads on the waves of the sea. Who laid the foundations of the earth and the angels sang for joy. Who sends rain to water the fields. Who sets a boundary for the waves of the sea. And says, thus far shall you come and no farther. What help can compare to this helper? The world and all it has to offer us pales in comparison to God. So what hill will you look to? In the new year, where will you turn your gaze? Will you even look? Will you look to the wrong hill? Or will you look to Yahweh who sustains us by his spirit in our darkest hour of need? Well, we've identified where our help comes, not in idols, but in God. And now we turn to point number two, what our help is, verses three through eight. What our help is. The psalmist is abundantly clear throughout that this central truth that God's children can draw upon for comfort and for safety is this, that the Lord keeps us. The Lord is your keeper. Look down at your Bibles for a moment. Notice that the word keep or keeper appears six times in the span of mere six verses. You see in verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. You see in verse 4. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. It's a word that comes up again and again. And to convince us that God is our keeper, the psalmist shows us three ways that God's keeping is seen in certain promises. Three ways. First, the Lord watches over you. Verses 3 through 4, the Lord watches over you. Two, the Lord is near to you, verses five and six. The Lord is near to you. And three, the Lord never forgets you. The Lord never forgets you, verses seven and eight. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. To the Christian, there's a great comfort We find in the word providence. Providence. It's it's, it's a word we don't use a lot today. But when we talk about God's providence. We are speaking about the special care and oversight that God has over his own children. So that nothing happens to them in this life apart from his direction. Yes, nothing in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the tragic happens to you apart from God's oversight. And this doesn't mean that God causes evil to happen to you, but he might allow it for a season for some good purpose that you just can't see in the moment. And all three of these promises in the psalm, God's watching, his nearness, his remembrance of you, they're all aspects of his one providence. There are different facets of the same diamond that we can turn and look at. But especially so do we see the providence of God towards his children in this verse, in verse 3 and 4. God watches over us so that our foot might not be moved. Which is merely a metaphor, meaning that God's children will not fall from his protection to eternal ruin, to hell. No, but God will keep his eye upon them for good, guiding their steps. God watches over us like a parent watches their toddler run around. You know, they're watching. They might let their toddler bump into the wall or maybe run a little too fast and fall over so that they can learn to properly walk. But what good parent would watch their child run into a busy street? And so God might use trials and hardships to prune us from our sin. To discipline us. But he will never let in the end. He will never let our foot be moved. How reassuring it is. To know that God casts his providential eye over us in this life. But for the wicked. There is no such trust in God. There is no lifting their eyes to his hill. But God will in due time let their foot slip so that they fall forever with no hope in this life of God's promises no help that he no hope that he will come to their aid if that's you this morning hear me clearly just come to Christ this morning the door of God's mercy has been flung wide open in Christ and all you have to do is walk through it why go through another year not trusting his promises Why go through another year relying on your own strength? Why go through another year of pain relying on your own way, your own broken way of doing things? But come to the cross and find rest for your souls. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The penalty that was reserved for us was laid upon him and and by his wounds you have been healed. So come, come to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul, your helper, your maker. God watches over us and as a good watchman, he doesn't fall asleep on the job. The psalmist wants us to know this so much so that he repeats it twice. Do you see in in verse 3 and verse 4? He who keeps you will not slumber. Oh, and by the way, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He repeats it for emphasis. Friends, because the Lord doesn't sleep, you can sleep easy knowing that the God of the universe watches over you at all times so that no evil may befall you apart from his will. As one preacher has said, the storm has a bit in its mouth. The Lord watches over you. Promise number two, the Lord is near to you. The Lord is near to you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This verse teaches us that it's not necessary for us to go far in seeking God. But the Lord is at our right hand. He's by our side to defend us day and night. The same Lord who separated the morning from the evening at creation. Ensures that the sun will not strike us by day nor the moon by night. Do you see how all these promises, they tie back into verse 2. Where it says that our help is in the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. And because the Lord is the creator of all things, he can so order his creation to be for our good and for his glory. And he wants us to know that in this verse, he does so and he is near to us. Kids, have you ever played outside on like a really hot day, like in the street? And you notice if you turn around, like your shadows just right there. Anywhere you go, you might even be freaked out by it. Anywhere you go, your shadow just follows you. And you might not even notice it at first. Well, that is the picture we have. That God is as close to you and offers his help in times of need as your shadow is close to you. Wherever you go, God will go. And there's nowhere that we can run where he would lose sight of us. I think one doubt we're so easily vulnerable to especially when going through a rough season or, or a rough year, is to think that God stands far off, that he's, he's distant, that he, that he looks through these binoculars, disinterested, and watches your life. Maybe when you think that when you pray, your prayers just vanish into the atmosphere, or, or maybe you think that God listens to your prayer, but he's kind of like checking his watch the whole time you're praying. But God is not far off. Friends, his desire all throughout scripture is to be with us. He walks with Adam in the garden. He's in, the tabernacles in the midst of Israel in the wilderness. He's with them in Jerusalem. When they're exiled from the land, God leaves and he appears to Ezekiel on the banks of the river to show that wherever his people go, he goes. And most of all, he draws near to us. In the God-man Christ Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The great truth of Christmas that we just celebrated yesterday and, and all last week, that God took on flesh, condescended to sinful man, and dwelt among us. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. And when he dwelt bodily for three short years... Do you you notice where he is most of the time? He's not far off. He was like a good shepherd in the midst of his sheep, having compassion on them. He goes directly into the crowds. He he dines with sinners. He's always with company. He's not far off from them. Do you remember that scene in Mark's gospel where Jesus is traveling to go heal Jairus' daughter? And He's walking, and the crowds are literally grabbing his clothes and yanking him to try to get some kind of healing out of him. And his disciples are actually so worried because, that they're going to be crushed because the crowds are literally pressing in on him on every way. And the woman touches his garment, the woman with an unclean blood flow, and she's healed in a moment. Well, Do you notice that, that Jesus is calm in the midst of all these people? It's where he desires to be. He's not not repulsed to have all these people around him, but he delights to be near to sinners. He delights to be our light in the midst of darkness. And he he doesn't move reluctantly towards us. The next time you read through the gospels, just like take a note in the back of your mind, the geography of Jesus. Like, where is he? Where is he placed? And you'll find He is near and not far off. Despite what our emotions would have us believe, it's impossible for God to be far from his covenant people. I know in my my own life, God can feel distant if I don't have some like favorable impulse of emotion towards him. If I'm, if I'm reading my Bible in the morning or praying to him and I don't feel this, 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 this emotion towards him that I almost think that like my quiet time was wasted. But friends, be careful if the only meter by which you measure God's nearness is your emotional response to him and to his word. It's not—your time with him is not wasted if you don't have this, like, mountaintop, fall-on-your-face experience. Because he's preparing you in those moments to learn his promises so that in times of need, in times of help, you can draw upon them. While the experience of our communion with God might ebb and might flow, our union with him in Christ stands cemented in his promises— so take heart that God is near to us. Promise number three, the Lord never forgets you. Verses seven and eight. The Lord never forgets you. If he watches over you, if he's near to you, then how could he ever forget you? It just kind of logically follows. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I love these promises because they they just wash over you like like cool water in the desert, like 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 wind on a hot day, like a like a furnace on a cold night. God's promises are just sweet. He watches over us. He's near to us. He never forgets us. And the imagery in this closing portion of our psalm is that of Christ as a shepherd and we as a sheep. It's actually repeating the words of one of the covenant blessings that Moses gave to Israel in Deuteronomy. When he says, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And with this imagery, I, I just picture Christ, the great shepherd, like placing his hand on the head of each sheep as they leave the pen. Going in and going out and, and finding pasture at the sound of his voice. And he counts them. He knows the hairs on their heads. He know, he's acquainted with them. And as a good shepherd, he doesn't lose one of them. Jesus says as much in the Gospel of John, which we read a little bit earlier. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We have a shepherd who never forgets us. He's not lost one of all the Father had given him. If he did, he would, he would no longer be called the Good Shepherd. And if you're tempted to feel forgotten by God or, or overlooked, I only ask Will he who has engraven you on the palms of his hands now forget you? Will he who registers you in the book of life now forget your name all of a sudden? Loved ones, the great shepherd of Israel is in no danger of forgetting his own flock. The Lord is not like man that he should forget. But he will come again one day to take us up from this world so that we might be where he is and dwell with him forevermore. Do you you remember when he's praying to the father before he's crucified? He says, my desire is that they might be where I am that they might experience the love and the fellowship that the son has with the father he he wants to invite us into this he doesn't forget us he wants us to spend eternity with us to dwell near with us and he goes to such great lengths to even death on a cross so that he might be where we are and until that day he has promised that he will keep our life He will ensure by his holy will and his good providence, his good governance over this creation, that all for whom Christ died will safely, safely come to the golden shores of heaven. Christ will keep your life because he gave his own. So where will you look for help in this new year? In times of difficulty, we are so inclined to seek help from things that cannot aid us. But it is a great mercy when God teaches us that there is no help for us in man. And may we this new year commit ourselves again anew to the care of the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. Lift your eyes off your troubles, lift your eyes to the eternal hills where your help comes from. And rejecting all idols, forsaking all worldly helps, may we say with the psalmist that our help is in the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that you watch over us. That you're near to us. That you never forget us. And we are comforted by so great of a redeemer. So great of a shelter and refuge in this world. May we not walk through another year on our own. But may we know and be encouraged and lifted up that our great shepherd walks with us, that he is at our right hand to defend us, to keep us safe from all that might come our way. We pray that when we have lack of faith that you will do what you say, when we have lack of faith in your promises, that you will build us up again in Christ, that we will give ourselves entirely to your direction and to your guide. And may this be a great comfort for us In this new year. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you go to such great lengths. To reveal your promises to us. That you sign your promises. In your son's blood. We pray all this to the father. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.